Well, good morning, GPC. Today's the day. Today's the day we finish 41 weeks of considering the church according to Scripture. <gasps> what will we ever do after that, right? Um, this morning, let me go ahead and apologize uh, as we consider a subject that tends to be a subject of great conflict. Uh, this is a subject that churches split over, denominations war over, Christians separate over, and that subject is worship. Now, if you're a new Christian or if you're not a Christian, if you're a young Christian, your response to that might be, what in the world, what do you mean Christians are divided over worship? That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it though? Doesn't it sound ridiculous that worship wars are really a thing? And yet you know that. Um, they just tend, this subject tends to be one of great division among brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what I'd like to do this morning as we finish this series on the church is to help equip us with a big picture of what it is we try to do and why we do what we do when we gather together. Okay? So our subject this morning, the call to worship, our confession, our consecration, our communion, and our commission. And I do not want this to feel like a Sunday school class, but I'm going to admit to you this might feel a little bit like a Sunday school class. I don't know how else to cover this kind of material and content, but I feel like this morning I'm, I'm probably going to feel more like a teacher than a preacher at most of the points. But would you bear with me for, for our good that we might be on one page and view this with a like mind for the good of the church and for the glory of Christ? Our passage to lead us into the conversation is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Well, let's pray together that God would open our eyes to His Word. <clears throat> Lord, would You take these next few minutes for our good? Would You open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to see what it is we're called to do in worship. I pray that these words are faithful and true, and I pray that your church's response in worship would be more robust because of our time spent together this morning. And we ask it and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when we talk about worship, 
you could say that everybody's got an opinion on how it should be done. Uh, it's, you know, it's like elbows. Everybody tends to have one or more. We've all got opinions on worship and how it should be done and what makes it right and what makes it better. But we tend to bring, our obviously, our own biases to the subject. Our own histories, our family traditions. Uh, I know that I come from a very traditional background and context where we sang as a child until I was, I think, 15, maybe 17. We sang psalms and only psalms. Someone tried to give our church a hymn book and our session really struggled as to whether or not they should receive a hymn book. Okay, That's the background and the context of, of much of my childhood in the church. And so you have similar things that have shaped your appetites and your preferences. But remember, the big picture of this series is not the church according to your own appetite or the church according to your own preference. The idea that we're trying to establish is the church according to Scripture. The bare bones of what we've been given that we should seek to become and who we want to be in the world. And worship clearly begins with a call to worship. Now let me tell you that the five points of our sermon this morning really come out of the bulletin that you hopefully have in your lap. Um, this morning, I hope you'll see that there is a rhythm, there is a rhyme to what we do and how we do it when we're together. There is a liturgy, there is a structure in how we approach God as a people. And you have before you at GPC what for years has been our structure and rhythm and liturgy. And so if you've ever wondered, well, why do we do what we do when we do it? Those are the things I hope might become a little bit more clear this morning. What we want to see is that at the heart of our worship, we want to be Christ-centered. And because the Scriptures reveal a structure, we want to be covenantal and conversational with the living God. Because that's how He's always worked with and dealt with His people. Robert G. Rayburn, now you know I quote Rob Rayburn pretty frequently. He is a source in my life that feeds me and benefits me. This is actually his father, not the one that I usually quote. But he says this, <clears throat> Even among sincere believers, there is a woeful ignorance concerning the significance of corporate worship and the benefits offered to us from it. Few have heard sermons on worship. Less have had instruction on worship. Therefore, most fail to see the meaning and significance of worship. The perfunctory practices of modern worship can leave many thinking that worship is meaningless, thoughtless, and that the parts of the service are not intentionally connected to one another. But corporate worship should be among the highest, most joyous, and deeply satisfying experiences of each week of our lives, our Christian lives. So let's just stop right there and say, 
Is that in any way true for you? Now, I live in the same world that you do, and my lifestyle is going to be similar to yours. And that statement, that worship is the highlight of every week, tends to be very difficult to find it true in a busy life where we're spread thin and our attention is everywhere else. And I'm going to guess that that's true for you. That sometimes it feels like a burden to show up and be there. It would be easier to sleep in. It would be easier to go hiking in the mountains. It would be easier to go boating. It would be easier to do most anything. You have times that you feel like that. We all do. But I think that he's right. Corporate worship together, when understood, and when God is at work, it becomes the highlight of the Christian week. And I want to show some reasons why that should be true this morning. So the first, the call to worship. At the beginning of the bulletin and what we put on the screen each week, you see the call to worship. So quite simply, what is that? That is God Himself calling His people, a people of every tongue, tribe, and nation throughout the earth. He's calling us to worship. And the Scriptures that we read give us a reason to worship. They tend to highlight the goodness of God in our lives and what He has done for us. So think of that for a minute. The holy God of the universe is calling you to worship. And there you are in your bed, tired and sleepy because you stayed up too late watching something on TV. You didn't plan ahead, didn't prepare well, and now it's time to get up and worship. And the holy God of the universe is calling you to come into His presence, to experience Him, to experience His Word. And you and I are just a little tired today, right? but He's calling us. He's summoning us. Some of you have received a summons in the mail, right? A summons to appear before a judge, to appear for jury duty, or something where an authority has summoned your presence. Children, you know maybe what it is to be in another room of the house or to be outside of the house and to be called to dinner, right? What happens if you don't drop what you're doing and go to dinner? Well, it depends on the household, right? (laughs) You didn't do that in my household without fear and trepidation. You responded to the call that came from authority. And so in that way, whether it's, it's a mother calling you to dinner or a judge calling you to give account, God's calling us to worship. He's inviting us into His presence. And if God's calling you to worship, Quite simply, there is nowhere else to be. If God is calling His people to worship, there is nowhere else for you to be. If you are numbered among His people, if you name Him as your Lord, where else would you be? Would you discard that summons from the Holy God? You see, that changes our perspective a little bit about the call to worship. We should be there when He calls us. Jeff Myers, who's a pastor in St. Louis, who's written a book on worship, says this. I I find this helpful. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. He says, We should make every effort to prepare ourselves 
and if applicable, our families for worship. Some people think it's sufficient to strut into God's presence with an attitude of, hey God, I'm here, how's it going? Here's a song for you and a few bucks for the offering. And when it comes to worship, we should be on time. We wouldn't walk in late to a meeting with an important human person. If the king of the universe is summoning us to his worship, we should be there and we should be on time. Okay, there he goes. He's been here a year now and he's starting to talk about stuff. He thinks we all shuffle in late to church, right? Okay, here's where I let you off the hook. There is not a family who struggles being on time more than I and my family do, more than we do. We get it. We understand. Um, My wife and I used to joke, here, I'll put it on you. Some of you in your marriages may find this to be true, that when you were single, you were right on time to things, right? If class started at 8 o'clock, you were there at 8 o'clock. You get married, yeah, you're five minutes late to everything. Add a child, seven minutes late to everything. Add two children, ten minutes late to everything. And it just kind of goes on mathematically, right? Now, some of you, that's not true. You've got your ducks in a row. You're early. Congratulations. Thank you. We appreciate that. Others we just really struggle, just really struggle with that. But I think what Pastor Meyer says here is true. We need to be prepared and we need to be on time. We need not just roll out of bed and show up when the king of the universe summons us into his presence. We should come with expectation, joyful expectation that God is at work and he is going to do something in my heart even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if they don't sing my favorite song even if they sing songs I don't know, even if the songs have too many verses, right? These are all the things that can be true of us. God is at work, and we should come with expectation. And rather than thinking, well, I hope they sing my favorite songs this week, or I hope the sermon is less than 30 minutes this week, we should come with expectation that God has summoned us, He's called us into His presence, And we come eagerly and joyfully to receive it, to hear it, and we ought to show up on time. So there's an old maxim, there's an adage some of you know that says this, five minutes early is on time. On time is late. Late is unacceptable. So we're going to put that at the bottom of the GPC church sign out on the road out there and see how many... How many people that wins, right? No, that's more of the Leviticus and push-ups mentality that I referenced last week if you were here. But it is a good principle. It's a good principle. If we're going to have fellowship and community and not be stressed, it might take a little bit of preparation before we get here, right? We need it as much as you do. We struggle with it as much as you do. I'm just saying it because it's true. And now I'll move to the next point. 
after God calls us into His presence for worship, what you're going to see now in the next four points has been called a, a kind of dance, kind of a movement back and forth, that God calls us into His presence. He responds and He comes and visits us. And then God calls us to what? Confess our sins. Right? We're called to confess our sins when we're called into the presence of God. A sinner cannot strut and waltz into the presence of holy God with that self-confident attitude of, Hey, I'm here. Aren't you glad I showed up? A sinner comes into the presence of what the Scriptures call the holy holy, holy God. And a sinner in the presence of a holy God falls prostrate and confesses their sins and says, I am not worthy. Woe to me, I am undone by my sin. You would be right to bring just wrath upon my head. And the sinner is called to confess their sins, not to pretend to have it all together, not to pretend to have a righteous heart, not to pretend to have had a great six days labor behind them, but we bring our sins and we confess them. We're honest to the Lord and we make those known. And so we're called into the presence of God and we respond to His goodness in song. By the way, I forgot to say that, but we respond with, with words of praise and song, uh, words of praise and prayers in response to the living God. And then we confess our sins. God calls us to confess our sins. And so we do. And at GPC, you know that we confess our sins. Sometimes we do it silently and privately. Sometimes we do it corporately. And we do it in unison. We do it aloud. And there's some variation we just know we need to confess our sins when we come into the presence of the holy and living God. We don't pretend otherwise. Really what these next few points show is what can be called the way of reconciliation. How sinners are reconciled into the presence of a holy, living God. And as I do this, maybe it would be helpful for you to think about how are people reconciled to one another? If you've had conflict with someone in your family or with a friend or with a neighbor, a, a family member at large, you know that there is this tendency to want to withdraw, to pull apart from someone, right? I'm done with them, right? But the call to worship is that call that's saying, no, this relationship needs to be repaired and you respond and you come together. And in order for the way of reconciliation and, and for renewal of relationship to happen, somebody's got to speak some words, right? I apologize and I am sorry for what I've done to you. I hurt you. I, I, I didn't respect you. And what is that but a confession of sin, right? And so in worship, we're doing the same thing. The Lord has graciously called us into His presence. And we're sinners coming into His presence. And the only right thing to do is to lead with confession. To not bob and weave and pretend, but to say, Lord, we are unrighteous. 
We are sinful creatures. We can't get anything right. At home, we don't get it right. At best, we get it partially right. And your standard is holiness, and we fall short of it. At home, at work, at play. You see, that's the Christian posture as we come to the presence of a holy God. And that is the beginning of the way of reconciliation, the way things are renewed. And this is where that dance is felt. God calls us, we come and confess our sins. God then comes back to us. So when we've confessed our sin, what does the Lord do? Our third point. We are consecrated by His gospel. When we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us, to wash us from all unrighteousness. Right? That's what we hear after we confess our sins. In your bulletin, each week we have this confession of sin. That's where we step forward and tell the truth about ourselves. But like that liturgical dance, the Lord now steps near to us and He offers what should be the highlight of your week. And that is the assurance of pardon. The forgiveness of sins. That what Jesus has done on the cross really does apply to you as a professing believer in Him. Now imagine if you had been fighting a disease all your life, a debilitating disease that defined you and that ruined your life. Imagine if you got a phone call from your doctor that said, we have a cure. Tomorrow morning, this disease is not going to be a part of your life anymore. It is done with. Do you think you'd remember that phone call? Do you think that would be a highlight in your week? That's what the assurance of pardon, the pardon of our sin, that's how we should receive it every week. What's the problem? Why don't we if we don't? Because we're just used to it, right? Here's the part of the service where we do the assurance of pardon, right? But we should not yawn through that. We should not sleep through that. If we have genuinely confessed our sins, this is the Lord reminding us that the truth of the gospel is applied to us as a people and to you as an individual if your faith is in Christ. And if you see it that way, if you believe it to be true, then it will be the highlight of your week and you just wouldn't want to stumble in late and miss it, right? Because you see, all these things go together. You wouldn't want to stumble in just before the assurance of pardon and have missed the confession of sin because they all go together as a part of how we approach the living God. God calls us to worship. Our response is to confess our sins his gracious response is to consecrate us, to declare us holy and washed and forgiven. Though we are vile and wretched and sinful still, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. And after that consecration, we have a communion with God where you really should feel my relationship with God is in right standing. 
I've confessed my sins. He's assured me of His pardon. There is no barrier or obstacle between us. He says He's my heavenly Father. And then in the service, what happens? God feeds us His Word. We have a pastoral prayer where we come to Him as a heavenly Father and present our requests and our needs to Him like a child sitting in the loving lap of a father. You see, it all is a rhythm that makes sense. It's structured in such a way to show the picture of reconciliation in the Bible and in Scripture. And in all these parts, there's appropriate response in song. When God's people are reminded of their forgiveness in Christ, it's only fitting to have a song of thanksgiving that follows, right? To respond with praise to what God has done for us in Christ. And if you even look at the song selections that we had today, you'll see they fit perfectly with the rhythm of what's happening in the service. And no, I didn't pick them. I'm not saying they fit perfectly because I picked them. They're picked by our director of worship, by Emma. She does a great job of understanding this flow of the gospel in our service. And so God says, you have communion with me. He feeds us His Word in a sermon, where for about 30 minutes we take His Word and we apply it, and we hear the good news of it, and we seek to honor it in the way that we live our lives. And at GPC, once a month, we experience communion at the table where we literally take and eat and drink, being reminded that we are the family of God, the people of God. Now, we could do that every week. It wouldn't be wrong to do it every week. We do it once a month. Some churches do it once a quarter. Historically, people used to do it once a year. But you should be reminded that that communion is real. The pastoral prayer, the preaching of the Word, the coming to the table, it is because of the communion and the union that God has made true for us in Christ. And then we come to the end of the service, the last component. And it's our commission. We're being commissioned as the church to go forth into the world. And we see this in the service. It's called the benediction, right? The good word. It's the good word spoken over the congregation by a minister that is a blessing. And this is, if, if you're from outside of our tradition, it, it may always seem weird. You know, why does the preacher come back up at the end of everything and do something like this? It's, it's a form of blessing, as we've seen throughout Scripture. Aaron models it with the ironic blessing where it says, the Lord be with you and bless you. Now go in His name, having heard that you have communion with Him. You've been consecrated as the church. You're the beloved sheep of His pasture, His treasured possession. Now bearing His name, go into the earth and honor Him at home and at work and at play and all that you are. Go as the church with His blessing on you. So from A to Z, from start to finish, if you've not seen it before, can you start to see now, oh, that's why we do what we do when we gather. That's why we have a call and a response. That's why we sing here 
and respond in song there. It's all supposed to be a dialogue back and forth with our living and covenantally faithful Lord. The Lord who had made promise to His people to be their God and that they would be His people. The same living Lord is responding and dialoguing with His people now through His Word. I'll close with this. It's a quote from our own R.J. Gore, who's written his own book on worship. It's called Covenantal Worship. And I think he sums it up very well. Uh, The heart of what the session at GPC has historically sought to do in worship, and what we will continue to seek to try to do, and who will try to be in worship, he says this, Covenantal worship seeks to integrate us and engage us in a worship that is meaningful, faithful, and biblical. And if you want a summary of what are the components in our bulletin, why do we do what we do, it's that right there. We want to be meaningful in what we do. We want to integrate it into your life, into the very people that you are. We want to be covenantally faithful. We want to be biblical in all that we are and in all that we do. And listen, it's, it's an imperfect effort. Uh, we're not going to pretend that we get it all right. We do the best that we can as, as we know how to do. We don't want to be a church that, that beats people about the head for not worshiping like we do, which tends to happen because of the worship wars. But we just want you to know there's a reason why we do what we do. It is thought through. It is historic. It is biblical. And it's our effort to be faithful. Hopefully you find that it has proved itself true. That as you read through the Scriptures, you see that this is in fact how God has dealt with His people. This back and forth dialogue, His calling, His working among us. And I would say to you, I'll close with this, it really is the way of reconciliation with a holy God And it's the way we're to be reconciled with one another. Each of those components, the confession of sin, the consecration, the communion, the commission, they all prove true in our own relationships when our broken relationships are restored. It's the way of reconciliation. God's modeled it in worship with His people, and now we're to go live that. We're to go be that salt and light in the earth. We know the way of reconciliation. We know how sinners are restored to a holy and living God. And we know how sinners are restored to each other. It's through confession and consecration, communion, and commissioning. Let's pray that God would make us more and more the kind of people He's called to be in the earth. Lord, would you do that very thing in us? Would you make us a people who who really live and breathe the gospel in all of our interactions inside the church and outside the church? The people we are at work and at the gym and in our neighborhoods, would we be a people of reconciliation? And Lord, would we have a sense of anticipation about our corporate worship together? that it is something to see as the highlight where you speak to us, reminding us who we are 
and reminding us what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And, oh, Lord, would this affect our children, that they would grow up in this pattern and continue in this pattern. And would it affect our ministry as a church, that we would be known by others as the people of reconciliation. We ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.